Kicks it ahead. Here comes Kane. He's got some space. He drives with a shot. Another four-point game for Patrick Kane. The last time these teams played, he did that. Get the Leafs on the schedule more often. He'll score 200 points this year. Five nothing. I was just joking with you, Don, that the uh, whole podcast seems to be re- rewritten because uh, Yahoo is announcing that uh, the Pistons have acquired Orlando forward Tobias Harris. Yeah, we got to get a Detroit guy. To it. which you countered with a story. You want to retell it? Yeah, uh, I think it was Dan Levy. I'm probably messing up who it was on Twitter. But uh, the NBA has a trade simulator, and apparently he put out a trade Featuring Steph Curry for three guys I had never heard of, and the simulator said, "Yeah, that we'll we'll do that. We'll we'll let that one through." You know what that made me think of is what was the first video game? Oh, where you could do seasons, but you had a I don't know NHL. Yeah, you, it, you do one that of the NHLs, sure. you either had to turn the trade blocker off, or you had to have it on, and you had to try to trick them into taking a trade. And the best way to do it was just by adding more and more crap. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you want to trade for Bure, they won't do Bure for Lafontaine, but they'll do Bure for Lafontaine and Rick Vive and Dave Schnuggerud and two other Doug generic nineteen ninety yeah. Sabres. <laughs> so that that's fun. I bet those are more sophisticated on the games now. Yeah, and to say that I have never heard of those guys doesn't necessarily mean a ton. But, uh, I'm definitely getting to the point in my life where I want to get a PS4 and do another Madden NHL run. Yeah. Do getting, a couple of years. Because the games, they look fun. They're coming down in price a little bit, too. Okay, here it is. It's with the Golden. Uh, oh, he with the 76ers. Joel is kind of small. Embolid. Uh huh. He's Nick's, a high pick. Nick Stauskas and T. McConnell. Okay. I'm guessing you said two of those three names wrong. Yeah, probably. For Curry. For Curry, yep. Yeah. And uh, I think a big factor in that simulator is the money, getting the money to work. Well, that wor- that's the yeah. trickiest thing about NBA deals. That part works, and I don't know who Hollinger is, but maybe it's whoever made the machine, but they have some sort of analysis that plugs in how many more wins the team will have. Oh, it's a win over replacement thing? Yeah, and Steph Curry adds three wins to the 76ers. Or win above replacement, I guess, right? The war. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the advanced stat. My brother and I were having a discussion about Alex Lyon, uh, the goaltender for Yale. Okay. And what his, what Yale's record would be if he wasn't on the team. This year? Yeah, and okay. my brother said he thinks it would be seven wins less. Wow. And I was like, did he be, like did he go through the schedule and pick out the one win no, games? No, he is just speculating yeah. basically. But I was like, so you're saying Alex Lyons win above replacement is seven? Hmm. I think that'd be a record. Yeah, like, I would think so. Too. I don't think he's seven games better than they have a very capable backup too named uh, Patrick. Right. Spano. If you just want to go by just the stats and you assume everything else is equal, you go by save percentage. But the problem is this other kid has no stats. Oh, really? He never plays. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? So he doesn't have any fair stats I to gotcha. compare. But 
We just know he's capable because Anthony was on the team. Right. You know, but anyway, let's start the show. It's season six, episode six already, February 18th, 2016. Uh, last week we had Frank Schwab and Luke Wynn on the show. First time for Frank. Enjoyed that. And Luke, of course, checking in with us as he does every year after the Super Bowl to kind of update us on what's going on in college basketball. And it was nice to be able to do it this year with Oklahoma at number one, although they did lose to Kansas again this weekend, so they're down at number three right now in the polls. This week, two podcast favorites. Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated will join us. Uh, Richard and I were going to record that on Thursday, and this is Tuesday, so I have no spoilers. Uh, But... I want to ask you questions about it. Though. I'm sure it will be fun, as our interviews with Richard always are. And NBA Hall of Famer Jack McCollum, the author of one of the sportscasters' book club, book of the month, book of the year's dream team, mm-hmm. is on because Jack did a column for SI.com where he updated the 50 best players in the NBA project. To celebrate the 50 years of the NBA, the NBA assembled a panel of writers which oh, okay. jack was a part of to name the top 50 in the first 50 years well now the league is 70 years old because that study was somehow 20 years ago and jack independently took a stab at updating that what would the list be like now mm-hmm. who would be on who would be off where did you think where do you think this can be a little teaser to that interview because i already did it where do you think lebron james is on that list it's got to be top 10. He's better than that. Yeah. I, I wanted to say top five, but there's yeah. some recency bias He's there. He's number five and, right now. Oh, five? Okay. Yeah. So we talk a lot with Jack about that. Why is he five? Can he get higher? Mm-hmm. You know, is there, anyone else, is there anything else he can do that would help him pass anyone? Uh, Jordan is still one. Okay. Um, uh, Steph Curry is in there. He's one of the... Guys who've busted through, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant also uh, are new ones that have busted through. So When was the last one done? At 20 years ago they've done this? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. So there's it. a lot of guys to add. Then. 50 years. It, it was the top 50 in 50 okay. years of the league. And they hadn't updated it since. I got you. Okay. Right. So you can find that on SI.com, and I'm sure we'll tweet it. But uh, So that's the show this week. we got Richard Deitch. Uh, we'll update the book club. Um, that John Wertheim book. We have Jack McCollum. Finish with one last thing, and we'll get going here with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. So, Don, I don't know if you were watching, but over the weekend, the NBA All-Star Game happened, and I hope you had the over. Oh, boy. Yeah, I remember, I, I haven't watched one in a long time, but I flipped to one two or three years ago, the end of it. And people want to beat up the NHL for, like, it became a slam dunk competition. Like, guys were just getting out of the way and letting guys score on the other end. Well, the West beat the East 196 to 173. 
Um, Russell Westbrook was the MVP for the second straight year. What do you have, 90 points? Uh, he did not. Uh, actually, someone tied, I believe. Uh, Paul George of the Pacers had 41 points, including nine three-pointers, and fell just two points shy of breaking Will Chamberlain's record of 42. In a game where they probably cared, though. Like the Will Chamberlain game, they may have cared. Right. Last year it was 163 to 158. I think the NBA is at a point where the NHL was. Yes. Where the game isn't working, what can we do to fix it? The difference is, is this is a huge like event. You know, like this... People still care about the slam dunk competition. Yeah, and that was won by Zach... Levine. And I saw some of the vines of it. It looked pretty sweet. I thought Zach Levine, who uh, repeated as champion, lost. Who was the guy that took the ball off the mascot's head, essentially? Yeah, I that was pretty that sweet. was awesome. Yeah. And he was the loser. That's crazy. Um, Clay Thompson actually beat Steph Curry in the three-point contest, getting four more points than him in the last rack, last round. Um, so Clay Thompson wins that. Yeah, I've so, never been a big basketball guy, but I used to care about that stuff. The slam dunk, three-point competition, all that stuff. So I don't know if people still care about I that. I mean, they the draw is... so many celebrities. I mean, it's, right. a, it's a it event, you know? Putting up almost, what, 350 points? That's that's insane. I can't imagine anyone famous is still there in the fourth quarter of that game. Right. It's, it's an event that, you know... Yeah, I'm a hockey guy. It builds through the three-point and the dunk and then just fade. They yeah. Everyone parties. That's kind of what I was going to get at. Not that, the NA, not that the NHL, I like the skills competition, but I recognize that probably most people don't. It's a little long. It's kind of slow in between the events. Needs we to talked about that. Yeah. I think, yeah. But their event leading up to it is awesome, the slam dunk, three-point, all that. But their main event feels more broken than the NHL has ever been. Like That doesn't resemble anything close to a basketball game. Well, one person who did enjoy the weekend was Evander Kane. I don't know, Don, if you follow Evander on Snapchat. I don't. But uh, So the Sabres finished practice at 3.30 on Sunday. Okay. So Kane took a plane from Buffalo to Toronto, I guess, to beat the traffic on the QE. And to get down for the NBA All-Star Game, he drank a bottle of cognac. Okay. Was still up at 7 a.m. Snapchatting and did not make it to practice on Monday. Yeah, and he's not playing tonight. So he is suspended for tonight, the Tuesday game, at the Sabres play. So Yeah, you don't love that. Don, Evander Kane, where are you on him now? This is the second time he's gotten in trouble this year. He had some issues in Winnipeg. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't love that. He is playing well. And he plays hard. And that's the one thing they've said in Winnipeg. Even Winnipeg uh, announcers would have said that, that despite being unhappy, despite being forced to play like a third-line role and kill penalties and whatever else he was doing there that maybe wasn't his strength, he did it really well. And he still produced on the ice. So I don't love this. I'd rather uh, the Sabres ended up trading away a guy, Nikita Zadorov, as part of a deal where they got back really good pieces. But... Uh, Part some of, of it stuff, was right. that he overslept alarm clocks a couple times. And that is less egregious a problem than maybe he was hung over, right, essentially? I mean, he probably they probably haven't said that, and they never will, but if he's up Snapchatting at 7 a.m. after drinking and partying... I have some quotes from Amanda. Would you like to hear them? Sure. 
First and foremost, I want to apologize to my teammates for letting them down, he said. Obviously, with me missing practice yesterday, obviously, with me missing practice yesterday was irresponsible, and I take full accountability for my actions with what happened. Uh, he got bag skated, apparently, as a reward. Oh, yeah. He wasn't going to go into details of what happened when asked if he was going to tone it down on social media account. He reiterated that this weekend's events won't be happening again. I don't even care about the social media stuff, but, I mean, get on the plane. One last thing. If you do watch me play on the ice, I do take hockey seriously. I think I could take it more seriously, and I think going forward you're going to see that on myself. I think you'd have to be super hardcore, old school, to pick on him for that. He hasn't produced this year maybe the gold numbers well, you'd want. He doesn't finish. That. Right. He's not a great finish. He's got a million shots, right. and occasionally they go in. You know, I mean, they just haven't gone in as much. He hit a million posts at the beginning of the year, too. He had three fights the other day. Well, no, yeah, three one of them, all. probably. He's a good player. He's a unique player. I'm glad he's here. And the idea that he can even recognize that he can take hockey more seriously, that's exciting to me. Sure. You know, I think that we're in the Chicago and Boston yep. Point with him, and we just got to kind of weather this storm. Let's not be the Boston right. and send Sagan to Dallas. Yeah, let's kind of weather the storm. The team isn't winning right now anyway. Let's let him get this stuff out of uh, his system. Let's let the room and the coach kind of handle it internally, and hope that when he does take it seriously, that matches up with when the team is ready to compete. So I think that sometimes this happens with guys in the league. Young guys with a lot of money want to have fun off the ice, too. And I think it's going to be increasingly difficult when, I mean, we talked with uh, Adrian Dater about Jack Eichel and his legendary work work ethic. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot harder in that locker room to slack off when potentially one of the best players in the league is out on the ice for 40 minutes longer. And supposedly Ryan O'Reilly is known for doing his own practices, his O'Reilly practices. Right, and I was going to say about O'Reilly, he's an example of this too. Another young guy made a mistake in early, early off summer, season, yeah. and haven't heard of it since. I mean, he's been a professional ever since. So hopefully, I mean, Kane's got a little bit more of a track record of this, but hopefully, like you said, he can take it a little more seriously. And he said it's not going to happen again, so let's hope it hasn't or won't. We got through two things already, Don. Can you believe it? Wow. Third thing, are you a big fan of the show Ellen? Uh, Do you no, watch the okay. Ellen DeGeneres show? I'm okay with Ellen. Uh, I listen a lot to Adam Carolla's podcast, and he kind of hints that maybe Ellen is not the pleasant person she is. Yeah, we actually went on a. We were at, uh, Tammy and I went on a uh, star tour, like okay. a tour of the homes. Sure. And the guy giving the tour went out of his way to say what an awful person Ellen is. I have heard that that. Uh, like again, Adam Carolla would say his buddy Jimmy Kimmel. Like nobody there is like afraid of him. Everyone talks highly of Jimmy. She said about Ellen, and even a little bit like David Letterman. He said the opposite of like if your people are all afraid of you, that says a little bit about you. So uh, David Spade told a story on Stern once about how he thought he might be getting busy with Ellen back in their stand-up days. Oh yeah, yeah. He went over to Netflix and chill with Ellen, <laughs> and. Uh, didn't work out because she didn't go that way. Guess but not. No. He wasn't taking the signals. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ronda Rousey is on the show today, okay. Tuesday, and uh, got some quotes from Ronda that emerged from this interview. 
in the medical room, I was down in the corner. Now, this is after her fight that she lost with Holly Holm. Right. In the medical room, I was down in the corner. I was sitting in the corner, and I was like, what am I if I'm not this? And I was literally sitting there and thinking about killing myself in that exact second. I'm nothing. Like, what do I do anymore? And no one gives a shit about me anymore without this. Okay. She goes on to say, though, that uh, she snapped out of it quickly. And uh, she says, I just looked up at him in reference to her boyfriend. And I was just like, I need to have his babies. I need to stay alive. Okay. One last quote from Rhonda. I was knocked off my feet for the first time. I was hit. It's hard to really know what was going on. With that first hit, I cut up my whole I cut open my whole mouth and knocked my teeth loose. It was weird. I had no perception. I felt like I couldn't see. I could see, but I couldn't tell how far my hand was from my face or how far she was from me. I was swinging blindly. I really don't remember most of it. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of fighters uh, that can get a beatdown like that in like, you know, some of them don't handle it well. There was a guy, when I started watching UFC, named Mirko Krokop. I mean, it, his real name is something different. Mirko Filipovic or something like that. But he went by Mirko Krokop. And uh, this guy in the matches I had seen previously would was, like, mechanical. He looked like a robot out there. Like, he would just stalk guys and kick them in the face. And stalk them. Like, and he would win these matches kind of handily. And then I saw him lose a match where he got kicked in the head and, like, he was out on his feet, his legs bent underneath him, and he just went down. And the post-fight interview with him was sounded like a guy who was never, ever going to step in the ring again. And I think he has since then. But some people get really rattled when they're used to winning and all of a sudden get their ass handed to them. But... Well, Holly Holm is going to defend her title in March against Misha Tate. And should she defend her title, it's expected that the next fight would be against Rousey. Mm-hmm. It would be sometime in November. And I'm guessing if Rousey loses again, I'm guessing she just rides off into the sunset and acts and does modeling or whatever. Well, it's kind of like the invincibility of her was the draw. Right. So if she proves that... I mean, she can beat this girl, and then it's just a, a fluke. That girl just caught her that one sure, time. Sure, sure. You know, but if she fights her again and doesn't beat her, everything is lost with her as a fighter. She is one of the three models on the cover of the Sports, Sports Illustrated, Illustrated yeah. Swimsuit Edition. And she is not wearing a bathing suit. No, oh, she's got one of the spray paint yeah, ones going on. Yeah, spray painted. Yep. Yeah, so, so, I mean... We'll have to, have to ask Richard about that. I believe it. I... I wouldn't take that lightly necessarily, but she was probably rattled. Well, I'm glad she didn't off herself. That would have been tragic. Yeah, that'd be that'd be rough. That would be terrible. All right, we <laughs> that was three things. There was three things to talk about, apparently. Yeah. It looked grim an hour ago when I was trying to piece <laughs> that together. All right, we're going to take a break because it's time to talk to Richard Deitch.
Our next guest isn't exactly Khalil Mack, but he's one hell of a UB alum, and he's making his 14th appearance on the podcast today. A warm welcome to Richard Deitch. How's it going, Richard? It's going well. 14. That's uh, I think that's like Dan Fouts' number. That's a nice... Uh, uh, it's a nice number to uh, fourteen appearances. What? Who holds the most uh, right now for Sports Illustrated? It's got to be Lee Jenkins. What is? Yeah. Wh- or Wertheim. What is? What is Lee at right now? Jenkins is twenty. Twenty. Wertheim in the over ten. Yeah, Wertheim's about the same as you. Wertheim. And who would be after that? Scott Price. Uh, probably uh, from SI. Um, yeah, probably Price. And who is the uh, Dave Damacek the all time? In terms of media people, no, uh, no, Jenkins is the most. Oh wow! All right, well, listen, that's getting Lee Jenkins on your show that many times is a nice, uh, pretty nice coup, especially yeah. given given how talented he is and um, and how wired he is into the NBA. The dirty little secret about it, though, is that I think he's sort of tired of it. Well, this is where I would say, you know, as someone who hosts a podcast as well, you just pick your spot. You know, yeah. you 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 space it out enough where it gets to the point where he hasn't been on the show for a while and then it's kind of you know it feels fresh again you don't want to you don't want to keep going back to the well yeah we've definitely had to cut the frequency a lot it got to the point where you could tell he wasn't wasn't you know so like anything he does non-basketball i just have to pass on as much as i'd like to maybe talk to him about it i have to just kind of save him from basket for basketball and it helps kind of bridge the gap in between uh his appearances so yeah there you go um, I just read your piece about the Ringer. I'm excited about. Right. I'm excited about the Ringer. I think. Yeah, I mean, listen. The one thing that um, I had no uh, that was no surprise was going to be that Simmons was going to hire smart people to run his website. He brought in his initial four editors when he left Grantland. Uh, I used to work with Juan Mallory Rubin, who's exceptionally talented and really smart and great to work with. Sean Fantasy has a great reputation in the business, and he'll be the point person on the site. Chris Ryan is a well-known guy in the, the pop culture world. And now he's added, um, you know, whatever it is, six more Grantlanders, including Brian Curtis, very, very talented. I thought he was uh, the best on that. Sports media writer and college football writer. I mean, he just, you know, he's, he's the, as good as... You know what he does; he's as good as anybody in the business. So, the Ringer has a chance to be, I think, really interesting. And the one thing I really respect about Bill Simmons is he brings in smart people, and he's very collegial in terms of his um, uh, his work process and the work culture. And that was sort of the great thing about Grantland is that everybody there who I ever talked to loved working there. They were given a lot of autonomy and freedom to do creative stuff. And I guarantee that will happen at the Ringer. Now, ultimately, you still got to have great stories and great podcasts and great videos and all that other stuff. So we'll see what they produce. But they have some very good glue people to start. And I think that really, really bodes well. And I think, and this is where I think ESPN um, underestimates Simmons' popularity, is I think a ton of people who um, read Grantland are just waiting for another place to go to. And I think they may go to the ringer if it's pretty close. Yeah, and I mean, I thought I thought Brian Curtis was the breakout star from Grantland, or at least one of them. Um, so I think that that's a huge place to start with him coming back. And I think, you know, ESPN's got a lot of decisions to make uh, now with people from Grantland they've kept, but kind of essentially just put on the sidelines. Right, Barnwell, Zach Lowe. Um, 
We'll see. I mean, you know, a lot of that has to do with when their contracts are up and would they be willing to go somewhere else. But if I – I honestly, I'm not bringing any news here. I don't really know. But my instincts would be that Simmons would be having conversations with Bill Barnwell because Barnwell loved Grantland. He loved working for Simmons. He is a football guy, which is, I think, what the ringer is going to need at some point. It's just too important a sport not to have. And he strikes me as somebody who – would maybe fit in better at a smaller place than a big place because ESPN, as you know, has 7,000 people who cover the NFL. Right. So I think Barnwell's good, but I feel like he's lost, at least in my opinion there. And I think at the ringer, he wouldn't be lost. He'd sort of be their number one NFL guy. So that would be something I'd watch. But again, I don't know his contract status. And you know, in the end, if ESPN wants to keep somebody, they could always pay the most. Barnwell was the only Grantland person that wasn't nice to me. The only one. It's weird. Is uh, you mean you asked him for an interview and he said no, or he just he, or he, he was just a jerk about it? He wasn't nice about it, yeah, which is really weird. Um, um well, that's a shame. Yeah. I don't. Know, I honestly don't know him. I've I don't know. I mean, like, that's the only. I obviously only had one interaction with him. It wasn't. It's just weird because everyone else says you should you should try again because he's you know a lot better than that. But I I think it speaks just to how nice the people were there. You know that it could it could stand out. One interaction could stand out because I mean, if you take all the Grantland people, and add up their appearances on the show, they've got to be second class eye people. Yeah, I would you know, I, I mean, again. I, nice that, to me, that, that's you know, people have bad days. People have a one off. Uh, Barnwell doesn't strike me as a jerk, but I, again, I don't know him. I just I know him from other people. And uh, to be very blunt, and this would be no offense to Bill Barnwell, there's a thousand people for you to interview if you want to get an NFL person. So, you know, that you should do in that case, just be like, hey, if the guy doesn't want to be on my show, thanks a lot, appreciate it, goodbye, move on. Yeah, um, you know what's interesting to me is how they were talking about in your in your piece. I thought some of the interesting things um, from Sean that came out were how they want to be a little quicker, um, how they want to maybe be a little bit more a part of the cycle, which I kind of think is a mistake. I don't, like you said about a million ways to be a part of things. I don't know that I need them to be another part of trying to deliver me this piece of whatever quicker. I think I'm well, all I right would, with being. You know, I hear what you're saying. My, my, this is my, my interpretation of that would be, I think they want to be maybe quicker on social media where they, um, they, their people weigh in on maybe some issues of the day, or maybe they do a podcast that day on something that happened that day. But I don't. I what what is not going to happen is you are not going to see uh, day after day evaluation of Kevin Durant's game before, or day after day trade evaluation. I, I don't. They're not. They're not trying to be ESPN.com or SI.com. But I do think there is some value in. Um, you know, you don't want to have a feature that feels old about the person who you wrote about, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I mean, there's, there are some features that are evergreen, but there are other features that just sort of have to be tied to the news cycle. And my sense is that they want to feel... Uh, the one thing about Grantland, I don't think Fantasy was wrong about that, is they, they always feel a little bit like a feature site only and never kind of a news site. And I think there's a little bit of value in occasionally feeling like a news site, um, especially a well-written news site. So I think that's where he's coming from. But I, I'm, I, there's no way that that site isn't going to be anything other than kind of very voice-oriented, very feature-oriented. It's not going to be the New York Times or the Washington Post. At least that's my interpretation after talking to him. Last thing, and I want to move on to other things. Uh, the interesting thing, the other interesting thing from your column, I thought, and also 
I got this impression from Bill listening to him explain it on his podcast yesterday. It's how they have this vision for kind of every element of it interacting together. Um, right from the, the peak of that being his TV show, which we still don't know what that's going to be, but how they kind of have this vision that the TV show is going to feed into the podcast, which will feed into the site, and it will kind of be this kind of circular, never-ending ringer thing. And I think their logo was a circle, too. I don't know if that was a... Yeah, I think there's no doubt that it's going to be a way station for all of this kind of content. And... Um... You know, the, the one of the things you want on a website, obviously, is you need to call it stickiness. You know, they want you to stay on that website, and you know, average time spent is a big metric in the business. That's that's why sites with fantasy sports do really, really well because you're sticking on that site. So, yeah, I think you know, I'm sure their hope is that they can provide you with like long form and short form experience, and that you go back there every day to check out something different. Um, something I like about them, and this is something I've always liked about Simmons, is he's just very, very much the flag bearer for podcasts, yeah. which I think is great. Um, he's really helped the entire industry because of how successful his podcast is. So I think it's very cool that the podcast division is going to be housed on the ringer, and I think that can only help uh, everybody, certainly including this podcast and your podcast, my podcast and your podcast, because um, it's, it's going to be a prominent site that prominently uh, uh, hosts prominent podcast, which is good for the sports business because that's still a relatively new medium and the more places really, you know, give podcasts prominent um prominent shelf space on their sites, the better for all of us. And I just love the idea of like Brian Curtis has this long piece on whatever. He's on Bill's show tonight to talk about it on HBO. Uh then tomorrow you can read the piece on the site and there's also a podcast on the site about it. And you can also, you know, go here for it as well. I kind of think it could work really well. Uh, I'm excited. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, next thing. Let's move on quickly. Um, I wanted to talk to you. I want to get some thoughts from you on Michelle Beadle. And uh, I'm not sure if you followed uh, what happened the other day with her. But um, so she took a stand where she wasn't going to be a WWE fan anymore uh, because Triple H – uh, publicly endorsed Floyd Mayweather or something like that. The night of Mayweather Pacquiao, um, this happened. She got really mad that Triple H and Stephanie took a photo with him and posted it. Um, and then, and then I guess uh, Vince McMahon personally reached out to her. Um, right, I read that. And then uh, Raw was in Anaheim this uh, Monday, and she uh, was at the show, and she kind of said that she's back. And she treated a picture of herself with Triple H and Stephanie. Now, Mark Madden, who is a former WCW uh, announcer and also now does sports radio in Pittsburgh, I believe, um, asked her a question about it publicly. She started uh, a DM conversation with him, then later posted the entire DM conversation uh, and then went on to be really kind of pouty about the whole thing, not answer any of the questions. And the main question being, what changed? Because Triple H and, you know, what made you decide to give up your stance that you took initially? And she just doesn't want to answer that. Um, and she got really, I thought it was really rude to start the, the DM conversation. She, she started it and then to make it public. 
Um, and I just the whole thing is, is interesting. I wanted to get your reactions to it as someone who analyzes sports yeah, media. Yeah, I, I, I mean, my reaction is I have a headache actually about it, to be honest with you. Um, because I don't think it's that big a deal because these sort of media spats happen every second. All right, so a couple things here. Michelle Beadle has every right to decide to come back to the WWE if she wants to. Um, she's not a journalist um, sort of making a larger principle stand. She was a fan who said that she was ticked off, uh, rightfully so, about Triple H's relationship with Floyd Mayweather and I guess how Beadle sort of perceived Triple H to be um, looking the other way on things that have happened with Mayweather and domestic violence. Right. So got a lot of attention on that. And now, yeah, she's sort of clearly whatever happened, McMahon reached out or somebody reached out, and she's back in the fold. As a fan, she has that right. Now, are you going to call that a hypocritical stance? Yes. I don't know. I mean, like, people change their minds about stuff. I, I don't know what their conversation was. I don't know if Triple H said something effective, hey, like, totally understand where you're coming from, and um, here's where I'm coming from on this, or you know, here's the things that the WWE is doing to combat domestic violence. You know, we don't know the answers to any of that. Um, Mark, the the one, and Mark Madden, by the way, is generally a flamethrower on all this stuff. That said, the one thing I will agree with you, or the sort of, or, or seemingly your take on is, I don't like the idea of putting DMs online, like to, so everybody can see, or especially if you uh, start them. Yeah, I just I kind of kind of feel like that. That's like not something you would want done to you. And I think if you're going to use that to, which she she was sort of trying to do to sort of you know let everybody know that hey, why is this guy sort of just interjecting in my life? And you know I'm going to sort of show him up here. I I, I thought if I was talking to Beetle, who I like a lot, I would have. I would have told her not to sort of go that route because I think it makes you look bad if you are putting DMs for the public, regardless if you think you are right within those DMs. I think that's always, I think it would even have been better to say, why is Mark Madden direct messaging me? I wish he would. Um, I wish he would stop. Um, and then the one thing on Madden's side I would sort of agree on is he said something interesting in that was that the wrestling will always break your heart. Um, and there's some truth to that. I think you just got to, you got to always keep in mind that these guys are a business. Like, you know, with Triple H or Paul, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Heyman. No, no, no. Paul, no, no. Paul, oh, Triple Paul H's Levesque. real name is... Paul Levesque. Start, starts with an L. Levesque. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, in the end, it's about that's always about business for them. I mean, if Floyd Mayweather, if Triple H thinks that Floyd Mayweather can help get publicity for a WrestleMania, those guys are going to align. And that's sort of what they do. You know, the right. interesting thing about WWE is how quickly they dropped Hogan. After his nonsense comments, right. that was Sounds kind like of interesting. Gonna, but but let's face it, I think don't you think part of that was because Hogan is not a money maker for them anymore. And if Hogan was forty years old, they would have just suspended him thirty days and brought him back. That would have been uh, my guess. So uh, listen, I don't know if anybody is sort of comes out of that Mad and Beetle conversation feeling good. Um, and I, I I guess I would just end it with I I would love to talk to Michelle and just find out what changed, like specifically what was said to, 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 to change her mind about this, because I really have respected how public she's been uh, about some people who've been involved in domestic violence, and she was very public about Triple H sort of flag waving for Floyd there. Um, so before I make a larger judgment, I would just like to hear what the McMahons had to say to her to sort of convince her uh, to come back. The other thing that's interesting, too, is 
kind of interesting that the WWE thinks Michelle Beadle is big enough to reach out to. Yeah. To yeah. sort of bring her back in the fold. That's even a more interesting thing to me is that they're they sure you a little bit of her yeah. power, that yep. they think she has enough marketing power to sort of be part of their universe to bring people in. Um, that was interesting to me. And I don't know if that's part of the ESPN's new relationship with the WWE where they're doing interviews and stuff, but um, that might have been the single most interesting thing to me is that here's this billion-dollar corporation reaching out to a television personality. Yeah, Coachman does a good job with those interviews, too. I like him. Yeah, I don't always love Coachman, but I agree. Yeah. I think, And I think it's great for both ESPN and the WWE to have that relationship. I think um, once ESPN many, many moons ago decided that actors, actresses, rappers, singers – uh, whoever else, you know, magicians or whoever else is in the uh, entertainment universe is going to be part of their universe going on the first takes of the world, the WWE fits right in. You know, don't tell me that they're not athletes. They're more athletes than Kevin James and Will Ferrell promoting a film. So at that point, I think you should bring them on because they're generally speaking interesting people, and I think you can get some interesting segments. All right, next thing. The uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue came out. Right, um, heard this, about that this week. Yeah, I bet you did. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I would think, as someone who's talked to you many times and kind of follows your persona on Twitter and kind of knows you a persona. bit. Yeah. What are you, trainer? All right, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I would think you kind of struggle with the existence of that a bit. Um, and I know you'll say you don't. That's okay. Not the point. Uh, but it's interesting this year that it almost seems like SI is struggling with it as well uh, by saying – by trying to shift the focus to – look, at this isn't just about beautiful girls in bikinis. It's now about any girl in a bikini, and we're doing this great thing by having a plus-size model on the cover, uh, one of the covers – um, and we have an athlete on the cover, and um, uh, and we have uh, also a typical model. Um, right. It just kind of feels like a mixed message. It feels like, in one sense, they're kind of not standing behind what the the what the magazine represented for a long time. But then, in another sense, they're kind of like saying, "Well, no, we are, but we're kind of just doing it this new." 21st century way that we think will appeal to millennials or something? Uh, those are all good questions. Let's try to figure out how I can answer that. Uh, I don't have any existential crisis, by the way, about the swimsuit issue. I've been always very consistently clear on this. I've worked for them uh, multiple times. I've been on multiple shoots. I uh, know the editor of the issue forever. She's uh, a good buddy of mine. I love her. And I think they do an incredibly professional job. I've been behind the scenes. So I, I've seen how people are treated. I've seen the professionalism of the shoot. They have the best photographers in the world, the best makeup people in the world, best production in the world. I mean, it's very high end. Now, if you want to say that the swimsuit issue has nothing to do with Sports Illustrated 52 weeks a year, again, duh, of course. It's a long time thing. It's certainly a money maker. The brand is going to continue to do it. I've made my peace with it. Other people have issues with it can totally respect that. In terms of the covers, that's an interesting question because, you know, I'm not as, like, connected to the fashion world. So I, I didn't really know what the impact would be on this year's particular cover choices. But I think it's cool to have a plus-size model on the cover, uh, especially one who's sort of uh, as well-known and respected 
as um, as she is, and I think that's been received pretty good. I think that's totally cool. Like I'm uh, um, I'm all for putting um, uh, women of different shapes, colors, ethnicities on the cover of SI. I think that if you're going to do the issue, I think that's kind of cool. Rousey on the cover. Um, I like Rousey a lot. I, I don't know if we're, I don't know if they put her on the cover to, to get it, to get publicity or, uh, added exposure. Uh, I mean, she's obviously a beautiful woman, so she fits into that demographic, but you'd have to ask them like what the sort of the thought process was. And then, yeah, obviously you have your traditional sort of SI, Model. The one thing I could tell you is I, I don't think it's as nefarious as you think. I think just every year, because this is something that's that's been going on for forty plus years, you have to try to just do something that that gets people's attention or that captures the public. And you you, you know sometimes you hit it, sometimes you don't. Like I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, you had three women on the cover for the first time. So you know that's a way to market that. One year they put Beyonce on the cover, so they were trying to you know, market Beyonce's fame. And I remember people were complaining that Beyonce wasn't a model. How could you, you know, destroy the whole SI swimsuit paradigm, you know, ironically enough. So it's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I'm actually, to be honest with you, as a staffer here, I'm super curious to see how this year's sell because I would really love to know if, like, it turned out to be a move where the public really liked it or if they're like, it's confusing, there's too many covers, and why did I get this cover and not this cover? Um the other thing too is it'll really give you a sense of how much uh, marketing power Rousey has, if like hers sells or people want that. Um, so yeah, I've come I, to be on a personal level, on a Richard Dyche level. I've long ago made my piece on. It. I got no problems with it. I loved working for it, and uh, and you know it's always possible that I could write stories for them again. Um, but but I recognize that there's always going to be a faction out there that's like this has nothing to do with SI. Why are you, you know, why why do you have pretty girls in a bathing suit? Aren't you just selling sex, et cetera? Those are listen. Those are all fair criticisms of, of SI, and you know, we work here. Just got to take it, and and you sort of, you know, you you, you explain how you feel about it, and then that even you know, maybe we can get to a place in the middle. But your your questions and concerns are totally legit. Uh, and I was just playing devil's advocate. I mean, I I love I've enjoyed it since I was in, you know, eight years old probably. Uh, so I don't have any problems with it at all. I, you know, the one thing I have a problem with, and it's not who's on the covers. I hate multiple covers, and you know I've said that about. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm generally speaking, I'm with you. I, you know, I, well, I actually, don't I don't like mind it. it as much in the regular issue. I don't love yeah. it for the swimsuit issue. I, yeah. I, if, I, if it was me, we would add one cover, and I would have put all three of them on or something else, or just one. I, of them, I can yeah. tell you, I, I know you don't like the regionalization no, of covers. That's just that's it. just the world we live in now. I understand. You, it. You, yep. You know what I mean? You yep. live in Buffalo, and so a Jack Eichel cover to you would mean something that if we put that cover in Miami, people would be like, what on earth is this guy on the cover? Right. Now, I understand that. It's just that the cover of SI still mean. I think, has a lot of meaning still. I think that that's something that, you know, th- just the fact that people will say No, that we appreciate that. I, I, I hear you. I, you know, I listen. So. There's no doubt that a single cover is always more powerful than a multiple cover. Totally agree. Would never uh, argue with you. All right, last thing. Let's do one more. Um, all right. So Whitlock and this other guy from, I guess it's the New York Daily News. I mean, this is the kind of thing that it happens, and I just, I just, I roll my eyes. Like the initial story was so strange that anyone would publish it. Like I just. I remember like kind of reading about it and thinking like, do they have lawyers there or is it just to the point where they'll just do anything now? 
Uh, like, are you talking about online, or are you talking about the be specific? Are you are you the, referring the to the the, 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 the back post. and forth on Twitter, or are you referring to Sean King's the Daily News piece? Sean initially? King's initial post. Okay. Initial uh, well, yeah. Here's what I would say about that. Yeah. Um, as I wrote, as I would not have run that piece. There were too many problems with it. I, I thought multiple problems. the The biggest problem, though, was that Sean King personalized it in a crazy way to include his take and thoughts on Cam Newton in a piece that was ostensibly bringing up um, a long-ago allegation deposition against Peyton Manning. Um, so th- that was my biggest problem with that first piece, is that it was just convoluted. It needed significant editing. But I think there's parts in that King first piece that absolutely should be read. So if you think that shouldn't have been out there, I totally disagree with you. I think with Tennessee having its um, Title IX case, uh, I think, and... Um, and new, and some new information being put out there, admittedly one-sided from uh, this woman's lawyer's deposition about a very very famous NFL quarterback. I thought that was there were some things in there that were pretty interesting, particularly what Archie Manning said to the former SI writer John Underwood about right. it. Um, so I think legally, uh, I don't know what the, the the New York Daily News did in terms of vetting it legally. But I, I would like to think that they would not have published it without a lawyer looking at it. Um, well, listen, here's the point I wanted to make about this whole thing in general. So there's that, and then there's yesterday with him and Whitlock and Whitlock. Right, yeah. And that, that was, as you know, just sort of a yeah, contest circus. Just silliness. Now, here's what I kind of thought about the whole thing, and maybe other people have made this point. Like, cause some people will get mad at me. They'll say you made a point, but someone else made it. Look, at, someone else might have made it. But this is a thought that crossed my mind. Is right. that I wonder if now uh, we've seen this with Cosby and now we've seen it with with Peyton Manning. I wonder if people are going to look back at things that happened before social media and try to see if they can breed new life in them and have them sort of retried in the social media era, whether not necessarily in a courtroom, but even right there in the social media. Like, right. I wonder if things that have happened 10 years ago, 15, 20, even as much as 50, like in the Cosby case, I oh, wonder if it's going to become a trend uh, to bring those things back uh, and see if you can get them retried in, so- in the social media era uh, in- to varying levels from the social media on to courts, whatever, and if that will be a way that people will try to make a name for themselves or to breathe life into a publication or a, or uh, their own career or whatever. And I wanted to get your thoughts on kind of that uh, reflection I had when I look back at the whole kind of crazy two days of this piece. Yeah, listen, I don't know if Sean King is doing that for that reason, but I think that's a very interesting take. And I think that will happen in some cases. I think there, um, there are people, as you know, in, in the sports media who essentially live to fight on Twitter. That's their MO, their modus operandi, or their, their professional contrarians. You say Y, they say ZX14, and they just roll with it. Um, so uh, that's an interesting premise in terms of, you know, in the end, you have to have some of the goods, though, to bring that back into the public discourse, if, if that makes sense. You, you, you could not just read, quote unquote, retry something unless you had new evidence. Like, I'm very glad the Cosby stuff came to light. Um, 
and I happen to think he's incredibly guilty, but a lot of the reason that came to light, as you know, is that there were women who eventually came out and went public, and then the the Cosby's deposition um, in one of those cases came to light, and we learned about that. So um, I would just hope that people are very careful, but there is, on a, on a, true, on a pure base level, I think there are going to be people who are going to try to do what you do, because I think the potential, what's interesting about the sports media is that, there are bosses now who don't even care, it feels like to me, if you're wrong or right. They just want you to get attention, and they want your takes to go viral. And if that's how you can get paid in the sports media at, at certain places, then the, um, the, the opportunity or the incentive to go big like that is huge. Because if you start trending on Twitter, even if it's negative trending, and your bosses are like, this is great, we love that you're doing this, you're going to just keep doing that. That's your incentive, and you're going to get paid. So I think, yeah, I think we may. I don't know if the King, Sean King, uh, Pete Manning is a perfect example for this, but I do think your paradigm is very, very realistic, and we may see it. And there is no doubt that the way these cases are treated today in 2016 are far different than in 1993. I mean, think about if O.J. Simpson. Uh, that murder case was around when Twitter. Yeah, uh, I think about it every yeah, time. I mean, I it, it would be—you couldn't even put your arms around it. It would be so insane. So I'm with you. Social media has changed the game in that is in that it can make people very, very popular, both good and bad, because of its reach. It's it's basically, um, you know, for both of us, we're both on Twitter. We both have followers. It's just it's the easiest way, basically, to get your work in front of someone. Yeah, I was thinking about like uh, I remember when Anna Kornikova and Pavel Bure were a nice right. like that. She was barely 18, and then, like, Sergei Fedorov emerged sort of to say, well, this wasn't nice of Burry to kind of – like, I had already been with Anna Kornikova, basically implying I was with her when she was, like, 15 or 16, which I'm sure they would say is normal in Russian culture and not the United States culture. But that happened so long ago, and it did get coverage, and people did make opinions on it. If for some reason Sergei Fedorov ever became really relevant again – um, it would be interesting, like if that got dragged back up, and how that would play in social media now. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, although, I mean, the only thing about that is that that I mean, that would really feel kind of old, just because the participants now are in their third, late thirties or forties. Well, yeah, I mean, but 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 a, I agree with you in that a situation like that today would be, I mean, insane. I mean, imagine right. a prominent NHL player dating someone who's seventeen or eighteen. I mean. The 17 part would be insane. The 18 part, year old part would be insane, more legal, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. We should have this conversation a year from now, and we'll see if anybody took a story that, that, that played prior to the social media era and then tries to get it some life again in 2016. Well, Richard Deitch, as he said, is on Twitter. He's just at Richard Deitch. Uh, he also has the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast, which – Appears weekly. I think Holly Rowe is the most recent one. And yeah, look at you listening. I appreciate uh, it. This week uh, will be the second of the Deitch and Trena uh, podcast, which I thought. Yeah, was you it know, it, as time. of now, we're we're scheduled, but I I, I have to make it a final decision on that. Do it. I feel like maybe I can top Trena. Don't you think oh, maybe do, do, do I bring a bigger name into to discuss media? No, nah, I think you guys have a really nice. He's a Fox apologist too. Do I really go for him? <laughs> So, right, you've convinced me. I'm gonna. I'll do it. You I'll, guys I'm have, putting Jimmy on. I think you guys have a really good back and forth. And uh, yes, Jimmy honestly is, in all seriousness, the next guest coming up. We're taping Monday. I think. Are you going to Mike and the Mad Dog? Uh, 
You know, I'd like to. I, I don't have a press crash or anything yet for that. I'll look into that. But um, I think it'll be a pretty good night, actually. I don't think it's going to lead to a reunion. But I think I think that one night, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And knowing that the garden is behind them, they're going to get some amazing guests. Like, I mean, I don't know who they're going to be, but I would think they're going to get some they're going to get some newsworthy guests who may say some newsworthy things. You can uh, also read Richard uh, at SI.com. He has a column up today, uh, question and answer with Sean Hennessy. Uh, that's his name, right? Fantasy. Fantasy. Yep. Uh, you can uh, read that um, about Bill Simmons' new website on SI.com. Uh, at Richard Deitch. All right. I All right enough with, enough with the, 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 the publicity. Let's get to the final important question. Okay. As a Sabres fan, which I know you are, yeah. do you want them to tank to try to have a shot at the number one pick? Because if they got that guy, mm-hmm. I, I think they could be a playoff team next year. Yeah. No, I just don't think there's any such thing as it. Like, what was unique about tanking last year was there was a huge incentive to finish 30th and that Correct. you were guaranteed – uh, one or one or the two, or right. McDavid. Uh, this year, all you're guaranteeing is higher, a, shot. a higher shot. Um, right. And as uh, the lottery has proved over and over again, uh, for some reason, you know, like the higher shot is still like eighty percent against you. Uh, so, right? Do and, you would you as at, at this point, if you had your druthers, would you go with McDavid or Eichel? Given that you've seen them now for half a season. Well, I, I think I, I mean as much as I like Jack, I think Eichel's, McDavid is is the better player. Eichel is uh, McDavid is probably the better player. Um, I still think that they might both be in ideal situations for their own careers. I agree. So, I would agree with you. So it's hard to say. I, I think I, I'm fine with just sticking with Eichel. I, I don't know that we've seen enough of McDavid. Like that one highlight of him embarrassing AHL level defenseman for the Columbus Blue Jackets falling on their faces uh, isn't enough for me to say I don't want everything that I've seen from Jack anymore. Right. I want. That I, I think they're both going to be perennial all-stars. I think both both are going to be great. So I don't think the Sabres, I mean, it, it's going to be, the Sabres have a franchise player to build around. But if they can get Matthews and obviously sort of just dream, I mean, that would be a game changer. Yeah. That, that would, that, that's a guy who supposedly, like these two, is a once-in-a-generation player. He's already playing in a pro league, which I think maybe maybe even puts him a little bit ahead of the other two guys. So, uh, I mean, you know, it will probably not happen because the Sabres sort of draft luck doesn't ever seem to sort of come their way. But if you want to dream as a Sabre fan, that would be unbelievable. Well, I say just play it out. Uh, it's 25 games off. They're probably only going to win, you know, seven of them anyway because they can't win a shootout. They can't win a three-on-three. They can't win a one-goal game. Let these let these guys like Eichel and Reinhardt and Ristolainen and be out there to fail and to succeed on and off as they go on, uh, and then hope that you get one of the three picks. Because by the way, the lottery now uh, is for the first, second, and third pick. So the third yeah, okay. the thirtieth team doesn't automatically get the second pick anymore. Uh, right, right. The, the first three spots are up for lottery, and the second and third pick are going to be finish forwards who were the two best players at the World Junior Championships. Uh, and this uh, Finland won the gold medal, so they're going to be the next best Finns uh, since Solani to enter the league. Uh, and maybe with Ristolainen being the key to the defense, uh, just maybe getting one of those Finnish forwards 
uh, might be as valuable for the Sabers as Matthew. Yeah, would. no. Listen, if you can get a player yeah. who's close to Team Solani, you've got you. You have hit the lottery. Yeah, they, read up about these Finnish kids. They're both. Winners. I will. I don't. I honestly do not know yeah. who's behind Matthew. So I'm going to look those, into that. It's those two guys, and they're fantastic. So excellent. All right, listen. You've right, educated bud. me, and I appreciate it. Anything else you want to ask me? Nope, I'm, right. I'm done. I'm done with this interview. I'm done with my uh, promotion for me, and I'm done with uh, I'm done. I'm done with uh, asking you Sabers questions. I'm All just right. officially done. Talk to you next time. All right, see ya. See ya. All right, I want to thank Richard Deitch for being on the podcast. And busting my balls, even though we haven't recorded that yet. I'm yeah, feel safe yeah, that's a fair bet. To assume that happened. Uh, the book club. Richard's boss and colleague, John Wertheim, is the author of This Is Your Brain on Sports, The Science of Underdogs, The Value of Rivalry, and What We Can Learn from the T-Shirt Canon. He, of course, co-authored the book with Sam Summers, who a few episodes ago, we went over his uh, biography, a spoiler alert, if you want to not know what we can learn from the t-shirt cannon, okay. skip ahead to the Jack McCollum interview. <laughs> Reading the book a bit this week, I wanted to unlock the mystery in the funny little, you know, subtitle there. Right. You know, what is this t-shirt? What, what can we learn from the t-shirt cannon? And essentially what we learn is that people just really like free shit. Yeah. You know, that's basically sure. what it is. Uh, they talk about this guy. His name is Dennis Doyle. And uh, he was a 30-something lawyer who left his job, withdrew 25 k from his savings, and devoted the next year to attending every New York Knicks game. Not every home game, but every game, including one in London. Uh, the Knicks flirted with the nine and seventy three record for fertility <laughs> and ended seventeen and sixty five that year. It's a good season to go to every game. Right. He endured it all, the blowouts and the blown leads, the thousands of shots that clanged off the rim. Uh he dolefully watched every moment and he blogged about it at uh the dot com. Here's a sample post on. Asking your friend to a Knicks game at the Garden this season is like asking someone to a funeral. You shouldn't have to do it, but you can always count on the close ones to appear among the bereaved. Hmm. Um, But anyway, uh, (laughs) they go on to say that this chapter really isn't about Dennis, (laughs) (laughs) but rather the other people at Madison Square Garden that season, that night after night, no matter how bad the Knicks were playing, would stand and start yelling and cheering uh, in an unmistakable energy when the Knicks started to give away T-shirts. Now, and they go on to talk about how, like, not only are the are they only giving away T-shirts, but they're shitty T-shirts. That's what I was going to ask. Like, they're not these are not your t-shirts. size. These are not from the pro sh- or the, <laughs> yeah. the gift shop. They're usually like that. sponsored. That's what I wondered too. Yeah. They got they covered in ads. They go into that how they're not. Whoever catches them, it's usually not their size. It's usually not a very cool shirt. Uh, but they talk about how there's some mystique to it. You know, the idea that 
you won this. Did you ever catch a T-shirt or a foul ball or now, puck or anything at like a that? Sabres game one time? We caught a Tim Hortons gift certificate that fell out of a with the parachutes, yeah, the cup, yeah, yeah. So we got that one time, but yeah, this whole chapter is really just about giveaways at games. Um, there was a fan. His name is David something. Um, he's from Indiana, and he. Apparently, permanently broke his back at Comiskey Park trying in Chicago, something. trying to catch something. He sued them for seventy-five thousand uh, dollars, but the results of the case are sealed because they settled. Okay, so he probably got what forty k something, yeah, <laughs> something less than seventy-five to go. Boy, away. that seems light now. Nowadays, I'd expect that number to be in the millions. Yeah. Um, from the perspective of the teams, it's easy to understand. It's just a cheap and easy way to make your fans happy. Yeah, you have to do that. Especially, I mean, a bad team is a good example of that. Uh, Sabers aren't great this year. I went to a game a couple, about a week ago, last week, yeah. And uh, the game itself turned out to be a fun game. They lost, but I mean, it is exciting for people like that. When oh, this entire row wins pizza, and the, like you said, the Tim Horton cups drop from the ceiling, and like people get excited for that dumb stuff. Yeah, they also did a study like about chocolates. Duke did this where you could get a really expensive truffle, okay, for 26 cents a piece or a mundane Hershey kiss for a penny. And the partic- the participants were split. But then when they lowered the price of the Hershey kiss to free, 90% Went for the Hershey Kiss. Wow, that's so weird. they dropped it one cent. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, so really, the whole chapter of the book is kind of about that, about free stuff at games, why it appeals to people, and I found it pretty interesting. And it's kind of a fun book like that. That does sound like you said uh, it's like scorecasting, scorecasting too. too. It is maybe a lighter version of scorecasting, and with a different author, right? You know, so he, that's probably why the different title. But we're gonna get Mister Wertheim in. Uh, maybe next week, maybe the week after, something like that. Sounds good. Uh, let's talk about this. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with a for another former author of one of our very best book club books of the month, the Dream Team, Jack McCollum. <laughs> All right, our next guest is a graduate of Mullenberg College with a master's from Lehigh. He worked at four newspapers before, in 1981, he started at Sports Illustrated, where he famously covered the NBA. He wrote one of the best basketball books I've ever read about the Dream Team. came out a few years ago. We covered it in our book club here. Uh, He's a winner of the Kirk Gowdy Award, given annually by the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. And uh, he's making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jack McCollum. How you doing today, Mr. McCollum? Uh, you can call me Jack, and I'm doing fine. All right, Jack. Uh, quite the undertaking you took. Uh, as many people know, I, I think uh, about 20 years ago now, the NBA did a 50th, 50th greatest players uh, for 50 years, and... Astonishingly to me, when I heard this, that was 
20 years ago already, and you decided uh, that since 20 years had passed, it's time to update the list, and you did so uh, for SI.com, where you put out uh, SI's 50 greatest players in NBA history. So now it's the top 50 in 70, uh, since the league is uh, 70 years old now. And the first thing I got to ask you, because you were a part of doing this the first time around, um, and the one huge difference I thought of the second I heard about this was they didn't have Twitter when they did this last time. How has it been to put your name on a list like this in the Twitter era? Uh, I would say that I was... You know, I'm on Twitter. I don't go. I, I like I like Twitter. Uh, I think it's been, I've only seen the brighter side of it. I'm not a, a woman who's had a dark experience with Twitter. I only follow the people that, uh, you know, in sports and politics and movies that I want to. So it's always been very positive. I didn't do this with any thought, okay, I want to increase my Twitter profile because someone accused me of that. But, I mean, it really? just blew up beyond all... <laughs> I hope to mention that uh, I, you know, I hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tweets about it, and honestly, I never that never even occurred to me that that would happen. Obviously, you think you're going to get response to it, but uh, and I would say it's probably been ninety eight point five percent negative, but that's okay. Wow. I mean, that's why you know that's why my wife always chides me. That's why boys make lists. You know, we who's the greatest rock guitarist of all time? What's what's the greatest action movies? And and every time that someone doesn't agree with you, um, you know, it's taken as a very personal. <laughs> it's taken very personally. So it's blown up, uh, blow up more than I thought it would be. Yeah, it doesn't get much more fun than a list. Um, I am surprised it's been. Well, I shouldn't say that because to be surprised at anything that happens on the internet or Twitter is negative. Uh, we should be on being surprised by that. But I am surprised that it's been as negative as you said. What is it that that Twitter is is most upset about? I would say if I was breaking it down, and I and I've honestly stopped. I've responded to a couple people good naturedly. Uh, you know, somebody wrote me and said, uh, "Well, you know, I heard that." Uh, Jason Kidd's stats are twice as good as Dwayne Wade, you know, and I wrote back and I said, well, you can look that up, you know, and it's not true. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I would say it breaks down into three camps. The first one would be an, anti, uh, an organized Dallas thing against me that I had Dirk Nowitzki too low. Okay. Uh, I would say that, that there has been hundreds and hundreds like that. The second one would be some of the older players that I have on there some of the younger Twitter followers, some guy wrote the thing, I consider myself a sports fan, and I never heard of Jerry Lucas and Dave Bing. Well, that's not my problem. That's your problem, you know. <laughs> and number three would be what to do with Stephen Curry. Why is Steph Curry on the list? How can he possibly have had a better career already than Dirk or Clyde Drexler when he's only been in the league for seven years? So I would say, even though I've got a lot of criticism about a lot of different things, I'm going to say that would be the three groups uh, right now. Interesting. You got to love people on Twitter <laughs> challenging a Hall of Famer on uh, Dave Bing. Got to love it. They've never heard the name, but they know they know you can't possibly be right about it. 
Uh, you got to that's I, I, part of this is you know the 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 old rating the older players I allow I grant you is diff, I mean it's difficult there's I saw these guys live I mean there's Bob Cousy he was he's like my size he's pasty white he looks slow he he was a great athlete but he wasn't a jumper now is he going to dominate Russell how is Russell Westbrook who's one of the 10 best athletes in the world, not going to dominate Bob Cousy. So, I mean, in one respect, you could out, you know, you could rule out every old player with the possible exception of, you know, Jordan, I suppose, and Wilt Chamberlain, and just have modern guys on it because of their physicality. But that isn't the way basketball operates. Players in the old days, uh, great players. My theory's always been that great player from any era would figure out how to be a very good right. player in a different era. Right, yeah. I mean, if they had a chance to live now, they would have the same nutrition and potentially be that much better of athletes and, and same weight programs and things like that. I'm always really curious about process. So now this other list of 50 that you worked on existed. When you started with this list, did you just put a blank piece of paper in front of you and start with number 50? Did you start with number one? How did you put the list together? What was kind of the process behind uh, behind uh, creating this list? The first list, you mean? The 1996? No, the one this year. So, 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 oh, mine. Yeah, so so you, what you start, I don't think you can... I mean, here's how I started. The way I started was trying to figure out since 19, from 1996 into 2016... Who are the players that didn't have a chance to be on the first list? Who should be on this list? That was what you had to do first. Okay. And I was praying there wouldn't be too many guys. I was praying because then you got to kick guys off. Right. You know, that's always the hard thing. So that's where I started. Well, I started with, uh, you know, and, and it's easy to forget. I mean, don't try to do it out of your head. I mean, I was doing, okay, LeBron... Uh, Wade, uh, you know, put Steph on there. But let's not forget, you know, then you got to go back. Well, Gary Payton, you know, you have Gary Payton. You have, and some of these guys are starting to feel like ancient history. You know, you got Gary Payton. You got Reggie Miller. Um, so you, ga- you gather this list of, I guess, probably thinking roughly 20, 20 guys, 20 to 25 guys that you could have added since 1996. And then you got to decide. Then I went to who I would kick off, <laughs> you know, who I could bear to kick off, and that is where the hard thing came. Honestly, I mean, whether I rated Dark Dirk Nowitzki too low uh, is is one question. But the hardest thing for me was adding, you know, keep, who to keep off of the last twenty years and who to kick off from the first list. Was there a specific player that it hurt you the most to kick off from the last list? Oh well, there's no, there's no question. I mean, it, it's it was probably well, two guys. I would say uh, Steve Nash, and I even made some. I, I didn't make a lot of phone calls for this because I could have spent, you know, I could have made 500 phone calls and got 500 different answers, you know. Right. But I solicited the opinion of a couple people I trust. I mean, I Steve is a great player. He won two straight MVPs. He was probably the centerpiece of a book I did on the Suns uh, years yeah. ago called Seven Seconds or Less. You know, he let me into his life during that year. I saw his greatness. Uh, 
but I guess I put him there against, you know, the per- couple people I asked. I said, well, who's better, Steve or who would you rather have, Steve or Jason Kidd, for example? And, I mean, I never knew Jason as well, never had the relationship with him, but I just tried to be kind of brutal about it, and I guess I just thought that all around, you know, Jason was probably better than Steve, and because of Steve's defense, he didn't quite make the list, but that was very difficult. And another difficult one was James Worthy, who already some of my friends who I respect have said, you're nuts <laughs> not to have James Worthy on your team. And James, you know, James was on the original 50 list, so right. it hurts when you have to knock somebody off of that. Did you, uh, did you know right away Jordan was number one? Was that, a, was that a no-brainer for you? Were you like, hey, or did you debate? with Jabbar a bit, or was it all along you knew Jordan was going to be your one? He's my one. Yeah. Uh, it always gets down to, and, and I admit, uh, I actually I had, you know, Kareem, talk about that in a second, I had Kareem higher than I ever did, and I had Wilt number three, and I had Russell in the top uh, eight, and then I had Tim Duncan, if you consider him a center. But I guess I probably do have more of a prejudice to, out on the court players to players that show a kind of multi-dimensionality from being a, and that's usually a lot of times shooting guards and, and small forwards. And Jordan's, A, his versatility, and B, his ability to play defense also, and C, not necessarily in this order, his performance in the clutch. I mean, six finals and six, and, and six MVP finals. Every year he got into the finals, and he was better than you thought he was going to be. To me, that made him a uh, a clear number one without really a challenger, in my opinion. Yeah. One thing that surprised me, I think the thing that jumped out at me the most about the list, the thing that surprised me the most, was LeBron James being higher than Larry Bird. And, and not because I think you're wrong or anything like that. I think it just it just caught me off guard, like, because I've been just – along for the ride with LeBron here, like we all have these last couple of years, I have never taken the time to kind of put into perspective how great he's been and how great he is and, and how high he would be on a list like that. I just never took the time to think about it. And when I seen LeBron at five, the first thing I noticed was, wow, he's ahead of Larry Bird, you know? And, and it, I'm not saying it's right or wrong at all. I don't mean to make that point. I, I'd always take your opinion over mine on, in this area. But um, were you surprised, kind of, at how high you ended up? I guess so. And I just, it's funny, I just got off the phone. Jason Whitlock, uh, his number one gripe with me was that I did have LeBron higher than, uh, than Larry Bird. And you have to understand, you know, Larry's, I mean, they were my guys. I mean, Larry, Michael, Magic, the right. guys I covered, nobody would know my name if they weren't, you know, if I didn't cover those guys. So it was hard for me. I guess it came down to this for me, that LeBron, you know, to me, uh, has always had, you know, this incredible burden that he carried into the league. He's never had the teammates uh, that Bird had, uh, which is, and any time I'm, I'm saying something about somebody else, it sounds like I'm denigrating them. I'm not. This is a, just points for LeBron. You know, he's carried this team. He dragged them. He dragged this terrible team to the finals, you know, back in Cleveland yeah, the in the year the Spurs mm-hmm. killed. was in 2007. And it's sort of been like that. He got to Miami, and he had two good players in Wade and Bosch. But even then, he kind of took control 
of the team. So to me, he's always had a larger burden than Larry. But honestly, with these things, if, if somebody wanted to say, if somebody else made a list that Bird was five and uh, Oscar Robertson was six and LeBron was seven, I would say that's fine too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I would Harris. never. There's just so much. There's just so little to choose. There's so little to choose between players that were that that were that great. And if you ask me five weeks from now, could I argue the point that Larry Bird was better than LeBron James? I, if I was put into a court of law, I could probably argue that point if I was Larry's lawyer. <laughs> yeah, you know, you mentioned that first uh, that first team that LeBron took to the finals, and I still remember that game against the Pistons in the. Uh, in the uh, conference finals, still maybe one of the best individual performances I ever seen uh, from 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 LeBron in that series. That that game always sticks out in my head. What an amazing performance that was! I was. Just... I think part of my argument, part of you know, and this could be self conscious and maybe it, uh, unconscious, and maybe it shouldn't be a factor. But I always feel that people like me, you know, my age, you know, white guys in their sixties who grew up with Larry, tend to denigrate you know, players like LeBron. And part of me, you know, wants to cast a vote to, to realize, you know, how great this guy is. And that could have been part of my thinking, too, that that I just think LeBron, unlike Larry, has been incredibly undervalued uh, and criticized mostly by older people for whatever variety of reasons that there's not enough time to uh, probably get into. So part of that might have been my thinking also. You know, I told you that in 2012, your book, Dream Team, I mean, it's one of my all-time favorite sports books, and you were kind enough to let us feature it here on the Sportscasters, and we had a great time doing that. And 10 of the guys on that team are on this list. That just puts more, it puts it even more into perspective how great that team was, how the 10 of the 12 guys we took to that Olympics are among the 50 best players in NBA history. That's insane. You know, somebody brought that up to me, and I honestly didn't even—I honestly didn't even realize that. And I—it's I, not like I—I I said, "Well, I have to substantiate them being on the dream team by putting them on here." Somebody did point that out to me, and really, I'm not sure who you could argue against. One of my good friends argued against Clyde uh, being not o- not only as high as he was, but even on the list instead of James Worthy, and. We could have that argument, too. But, uh, you know, anybody else that was on it, even the, quote, lesser players, you know, Stockton, Ewing, uh, you know, nobody would argue. Chris Mullen, uh, Chris Mullen and Leitner being the two that, right. uh, that didn't make it. Yeah, it just, it just puts into perspective for you how great that team was. I mean, man, we'll never see that again, I don't think. A team in any sport with 10 of the 50th best, 10 of the 50 best players in that sport on one team. That's it's spooky. It's spooky, and uh, it's a it's a plug for that book. If anyone's listening now and ha- hasn't read it, it wouldn't have happened uh, without some 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 back uh, backdoor negotiating. Because uh, you can probably tell this a little bit better. Initially, the the big hangup was how many college guys they were going to send, right? And at one point, maybe it was five, and they got it down to three, and then they did settle on the one. So if uh, the the college people would have won out, we wouldn't have had that. Uh, um, and you, you detail that great in the book. Well, you probably have listeners that don't even don't even remember that, that the Olympics were 
were the province of colleges that up right. until 1992, uh, the dream team in Barcelona, that it was a matter of fact. It wasn't even an argument. It wasn't even on the radar that there were going to be NBA players. So this was a longstanding tradition that was bent down in 1992. And uh, that's why there was such a fewer. Originally, yeah, it was going to be, I think originally it was going to be eight and four. You know, it was going to be eight pros and four. And then they started clicking off the pros, you know, that wouldn't make the list. Uh, and then they got it down to, then it was nine and three, then it was ten and two, and they finally made it eleven and one and made the one token uh, college kid. Uh, they kind of picked Christian Leitner over Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal based yeah. on Christian basically having a better college career than Shaq. And imagine if they would have picked Shaq, we'd be talking about 11 of the 12 guys being on this list. That's, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> That's absolutely true. I guess I could have. I would have felt bad not For throwing money on yeah. there. Uh, you know, it's funny. Chris didn't really come up much in my thought process about the top 50. And oddly enough, when they put together the Dream Team, Mullen was one of the first thoughts because of his outside shooting. Their fear was going to be that every, you know, the teams would zone him up, which they did, and that we didn't, you know, didn't have drop-dead shooters. You know, they didn't have Curry, didn't have Ray Allen, Durant wasn't around. You know, there wasn't a drop-dead shooting type of guy. And so Mullen, once you get past Jordan uh, and Pippen and Barkley, uh, Mullen was a very much a desired guy uh, on that dream team. You know, one thing I wanted to mention about Shaq, he's number 15 on your list, and of course Kobe is number 12, and I think we all think that Kobe and Shaq left a couple rings on the table by not being able to kind of come together and work their issues out and stay Lakers together. Do you think that that might have even cost them on this list? Do you think if you look back and, and somehow Kobe and Shaq would have worked out their differences and ran off maybe another three final championships together, that it might have bought them both a couple spots on this list, or not so much? That's quite possible. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think of that, but if you took Kobe's pedigree, Kobe has five, right? Kobe has, yep. uh, yeah, and he had you know, two, uh, two without Shaq. Uh, if you were to put Shaq with uh, a couple more, um, you know, yeah, that probably could have changed it. I came to that point when I think I have Moses, Shaq, and Elijah. I don't have the list in front of me, but Moses, Shaq, and Elijah on. Yeah, 14, 15, right. 16 in that order. Yep. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, there, that was another thing I did just with Curry, Stockton, and Isaiah because, look, I mean, put them in any order you want. <laughs> it's, somebody was just really furious with me because I had Moses ahead of those two guys. I said, okay, well, there's one difference. Put him, put him ahead of him. Then I don't. I mean, <laughs> at some point, you know, there's no difference between there's difference between ten and forty, but there's no difference the way you look at guys between thirteen and fourteen. It's just the idea you're saying he was a little bit better than he was. But on Thursday, I could, you know, on Friday, I could feel different about it. The sports guys are here with the great Jack McCollum. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. He's at mcca. LLUM12, be nice to him with your tweets. No need for negativity. Uh, a couple more quick things about this list. Uh, we're talking about his top 50 players in the first 70 years in the NBA. It's on SI.com. You can find it there. 
Um, there's also a really great podcast he did uh, with uh, – it's called The Gray Area with Maggie Gray. Maggie, yeah, Maggie, yeah, Maggie Gray. Gray. You can find I that. Um, Maggie, Maggie's very good, very yeah, knowledgeable very good. about sports. Absolutely, and there's a video attached to the article with some of that you can watch as well. Just a couple things to mention. Uh, you did put Curry uh, on the list, and I don't see a problem with it. Um, he's dazzled me the last few years, and I expect him to dazzle me for years to come. I wonder, looking at the league right now, were there a couple other guys that you think, hey, if I'm doing this 10 years from now, could end up on this list? Sure. I mean, I, I, I thought about, uh, you know, I thought obviously about Westbrook. I thought about, uh, I mean, Westbrook has top 30 talent, you know, and right. I didn't, it, it was hard with these guys, hard, I mean, you know, Harden, has there been a score? You know, Harden's off on a kind of career, kind of a Kobe-like career, I mean, in terms of scoring. You know, he's kind of a Kobe-like player. Uh, whether he'll be that good, you know, I don't know. Uh, Anthony Davis, uh, you know. And, you know, I was sitting there doing this list one, uh, one night, and I'm watching television, and Jimmy Butler is just gone... I mean, that guy's insane on some nights, you know? But you have, to find some, you have to find some reason to project. You can't have all of those guys on. I can't start kicking off Dave Bing and Elgin Baylor and, uh, you know, and Kevin McHale because I think someday that all of them will be better, uh, will be that good. And the reason I included Curry and Durant, which would be the two current guys, was I just thought they proved it. I mean, I, I and projecting ahead that Curry, you know, they're just special players. And I just couldn't, I just didn't know that about Westbrook uh, Harden. I mean, I, Harden, is he ever going to get close? You know, now that he's left uh, Oklahoma City, it's kind of bizarre, you know, that he, he I, I can't remember whether he asked to leave or wanted to leave, goes to a place where he's clearly the focus, and we kind of forget about him more. You know, you've got to be with a good team. You've got to be with a winning team. It's very, very important. Jimmy Butler, the same thing. He's getting kind of lost in the shuffle, you know? Yeah. And the same thing with, uh, with Anthony. You know, is, that, is he going to be able to, uh, you know, is he going to be able to get out of the basement there and, uh, and, and make a difference? And that's important. Maybe it shouldn't be, but it's important. All right, one last thing. We can end on this, and it's kind of clunky interviewing by me. A bad job. I should have asked you when we were talking about LeBron before, but let's end with LeBron, and he's at number five. We talked about that. Do you think he can go higher? Um, do you think, for example, if he brought a championship to Cleveland, something that seemingly no one can do in any sport unless your name is Jim Brown, uh, bring a championship to, to Cleveland? Um, do Do you think... Has he reached his ceiling, or do you think there's still another spot or two or three even that he could climb on this list, in your opinion, uh, with well, the rest of his career? Yeah, I'm going to say this very carefully because I don't want to criticize LeBron. I, I don't think uh, LeBron's still great. Uh, I would still, if we were there in a playground and he could, him and Curry were sitting there, uh, hmm, <laughs> I'd have to think which one to take. Uh, but I do think that LeBron's at the top of the mountain. I don't think he's going any, I don't think he's going to go any further. You know what I mean? I don't think he's going to get any better. He, he's 31. 
what you said about the championships, you know, that's a good point. I mean, can if let's say he somehow pulls a championship out of this season, even though it looks like a Golden State juggernaut, and then does it again, well, my goodness, that's you know, that's unbelievable. That would be what four titles for the guy, and a couple of them unlikely. So I'm going to say it's possible, but unlikely, because he would have to unseat, you know, four guys that to me are, you know, if you're choosing around Mount Rushmore, it's kind of hard to get him off, you know. I mean, Magic's one of my guys that have to be better than him. Uh, Magic won five titles. So I'm going to say no, but uh, we can have the conversation again if he would somehow uh, figure out a way to get Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving integrated enough to win another title. Right, do it for poor Cleveland. Um, This has been awesome. The list, I want to put everything out there one more time. The list is on SI.com. Of course, you can find it there. It's SI's 50 Greatest Players in NBA History, and SI's done a great thing. When you click on the link to the article, boom, there's an eight-minute video uh, with Jack and... Uh, Maggie Gray talking, and then just below the podcast, 48 minutes, um, she probably did a much better job than I did. You can listen to that one with Jack right there. That's on the page. Of course, you can follow Jack on Twitter. He's at M-C-C-A-L-L-U-M-12 there, and I demand the tweets are polite and nice. He's had enough of the negativity. Or you, Yeah, or you can go on Twitter and find out what people are <laughs> right, yeah, saying you, about and, and, and you know we're talking about a Hall of Famer here, people. Let's be let's be kind to our Hall of Famers on Twitter. Uh, there's no reason for this. Uh, and I do want to mention, since you're on, in case people missed it, the book is called Dream Team, and it came out in 2012, uh, and it's available in ebook formats and uh, in bookstores still. And it is one of the great books about basketball that I've ever read. Uh, and you can you can certainly get that. Is there anything else we can look forward to from you, Jack? Are you working on anything? I know you're kind of in quasi-retirement, uh, maybe a little bit, but uh, is there anything we can look forward to if we're as big of fans of Jack McCollum as I am? Well, I'm, I'm taking a look at the, uh, at the Lakers. Uh, once again, this is a little bit of ancient history, but I'm trying to do something else with it. The Lakers, 33-game winning winning streak back in 1971-72 season. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain was on that team. Jerry West was on that team. Uh, Gail Goodrich was on that team. Something about that period of time always fascinated me. 33 games in a row. Uh, the people on that team, the personalities, what was going on in Los Angeles then. So I'm just trying to percolate something uh, about a book or an article about, uh, about that specific period of time. That sounds awesome. We'll look forward to it. Hey, thank you so much for all this time. Uh, thanks for chatting with me uh, about this. I really, really enjoyed it. Love the article. appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. See you later. All right, I want to thank NBA Hall of Famer Jack McCollum for being on the podcast today. Of course, I want to thank Richard Deitch. You can find this week's podcast and last week's podcast with Frank Schwab from Yahoo and Luke Wynn from SI on our website, 
www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on iTunes. And I got a lot of emails and tweets about Stitcher being down last week. And I was relieved to find out that it was Stitcher Not us. was down. Good. Like the whole entity of Stitcher ceased to exist for days. Uh, and I do know the update is that, especially on Android phones, you need to make sure you have the most recent version of Stitcher downloaded. So go to the Google Play Store and make sure that you definitely have the most recent one. And they did say you might need to close the Google Play Store and reopen it okay. to reflect the newest version sure. being there. So Stitcher should be back. It had nothing to do with us. It was literally <laughs> Thank God for that. Stitcher in its entirety. Uh, so you should be able to hear us there again. Um, also, I, I always recommend Downcast and listen to some podcasts on there. We're there. Um, and uh, should be easy to find. You can email us, as many of you did, to say why doesn't this work on Stitcher at thesportscasters at gmail.com. You can tweet us at sports underscore casters or at downlake sports. And uh, is that enough plugs? We, we never, we're bad at the plugging and promotion part of this whole thing. Yeah, I think it probably shows. We probably, we yeah. probably, we probably is reflected on downloads. <laughs> we need to do it more. <laughs> yeah, probably. What can you do? Who knows? We don't know. We have no, no idea. We don't. Let us know. Email us. Yeah. Sportscasters.gmail.com. If, if you, you know, know how to get this into like hundreds of thousands of hands as opposed to however many it's actually in, let us know. All right, one last thing for me this week. Nerf has released a gun, a Nerf gun, that apparently can shoot Nerf balls 68 miles an hour, which seems crazy fast. They say it doesn't hurt, shouldn't leave welts because it does use the Nerf foam, but Makes me think they used to have this gun called the Sharpshooter in like the early '90s. Uh, it was spring loaded. You pull this hammer back and uh, you put the dart in there, and you would shoot it. And they actually it had like a suction cup tip on a dart. And I'm guessing that was more of the problem. That suction cup tip was probably hurting people, and they outlawed that one. I say outlawed. They took it off the shelves. I don't know if kids lost eyes or anything with it, but I remember loving that gun. It was accurate. It shot hard. I feel but- like you're. Second Amendment rights as a <laughs> revival. Yeah, when it took, you can't take my Nerf guns. But uh, yeah, now there's the one that shoots balls 68 miles an hour. So that seems really fast. Yeah, it does, and it shoots like it has like a clip of like 40 or 50 balls in it, and it just fires them out at 68 miles an hour a piece. I mean, that ball could get a speeding ticket on the throughway. It could, and I know for me when I was a kid, they had this. It was shot like Nerf things. It wasn't a Nerf toy, but this Ninja Turtles pizza shooter. And it said, like, don't shoot it at the dog. But, like, the most fun thing to do was to shoot it at the the dog. dog. So there's going to be some dogs that are going to take some 68-mile-an-hour bullets, I'm sure, from this thing. And uh, like you said, as soon as I read it to you, go buy it now before it gets taken off the shelves. My neighbor has three little boys. Yeah. And they're from kindergarten down. Sure. So they're young. It's a young family. We love this. And, uh, yeah, and this, the one kid, he's got a really cool dart gun, and he was shooting my dog with the dart gun <laughs> last summer. He did, he couldn't come close to hitting him. Yeah. So both of them were having fun, right. the dog and the kid. My dog was too quick or too small to get in his range of target that he was capable and skilled of hitting. So, he, he, like I said, he never got hit, but they had a lot of fun. I did see the dad in the grocery store the other day and told him he better keep his sons away from my daughter. 
<laughs> so I got that threat out there right away. All right, that's good. Yeah. Get so, in front of that. Yeah, it's, it's the thing, you know, like if you're like is the it's the it's with Ryan, you, uh-huh. you have to worry about one dick. Yeah, that is the same. Ryan's. <laughs> yes. Yes. With Molly, you it's need everyone. to worry about all yeah. of the dicks except for Ryan's, I guess. Right. And mine. <laughs> and yours, yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll take mine out of the running too. Okay, thanks. So you. that's three you don't have to worry about. Whew. Yeah. Sleep easier tonight. Anyway, one last thing for me. Uh, my DVR is suddenly filling. Yeah. Uh, I felt really disappointed this year, obviously, with um, Parenthood not coming back. I had a, I had a, a loss on the DVR. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like I didn't have much DVRing. Yeah, and you're not a Walking Dead guy, right? Yeah, no, I, I've never really watched The Walking Dead just because I'm not into zombies. Right. Uh, but suddenly... And even more so for Walking Dead fans because this just came back. Right. Suddenly, the winter season is filling up my DVR. Uh, Better Call Saul returned yesterday with a fantastic yeah, it was cool. first episode, I thought. Don, you enjoyed it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new show on HBO called Vinyl that is a Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger collaboration. Oh, yeah. Scorsese directed the pilot and Jagger wrote it, and it's about... 1970s rock and roll A&R and business. There's a lot of blow in it. Yeah. And uh, discovering bands and Is it good? It it was a fantastic pilot, I thought. One episode in, I couldn't be happier that that's on on there and more episodes are coming. Tammy and I have loved the OJ show. I've heard a lot about it. I haven't watched uh, it, though. Awesome. On FX. Anything FX does is is in my on my radar now because mm-hmm. they kill it with Fargo, which is maybe the maybe one of the best five shows I've ever seen. And uh, now they have this. And they have the Americans, which people rave about, which I hope we'll be able to catch up on. I think I'm going to do a free trial with Hulu because they have – a show coming out called Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. I saw that, I which is with James Franco, and it's based yeah, on yeah. a book by Peter King about Stephen King. Stephen King, yes, <laughs> uh, based on a, a Stephen King book about the assassination of Kennedy, which has a twist where a guy is given a time machine to affect history and change that event, uh, but then oh, history okay. history doesn't like being changed. Right, the butterfly effect. So. Uh, I think I might check that out. I'm also a huge fan of a show called Restaurant Startup. Got news in Buffalo last year because one of our food trucks uh, oh, was, Lloyd's, was yeah. on it. And that's an excellent show for like a good mindless hour of TV. Do you watch Silicon Valley on HBO? I do. That'll be back in April. Yep, yep, that's uh, it's a great show. That'll be back. Uh, what else is out there? Does Tammy enjoy that? No, she tapped out. Yeah, I wonder that. I told Michelle I think she'd be into it, but then I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe not. But And I'm also very excited. Uh, one last thing. The end of the month on Netflix, they have a Judd Apatow show coming out called Love. Okay. Um, why don't you uh, bring the trailer up if you can? Uh, we can play it. I think it translates. Uh, he was on Opie and Jimmy uh, promoting it. Uh, and it just it just seems really great. Opie watched it all and really loved it, and it's basically a sitcom uh, by Judd, um, and it's called Love. You got that? I do. Okay, let's see it. 
So that'll be two thirty-five. Dude, I don't have my wallet. Can I pay you back later? You see, isn't a charity. I'm good for it. I'll come right back. Hey, you know what? I got this. Okay. Guy's a hero. And a pack of cigarettes. A pack of smokes. Parliament. Hey, I have money. I can pay you back. It's totally cool. It's on me. Don't be a fucking hero. I'm Mickey. I'm Gus. Follow me. I'm Gus. I like that name. Yeah. Do. I'm a program manager at radio station. I could never date a co-worker. What a bad idea. It's yeah, like a fake a serious. Idea. Maybe we should both quit. <laughs> I'm joking. One of us quit. I'm kidding. You know what's good for a hangover? Me. Oh. You're really good at that. <laughs> You're like a 40-year-old, 12-year-old. My last girlfriend, she hated it when I ate fast food. Is that why you guys broke up? She cheated on me. Maybe now would be a good time to get the boxes out of my house. It's just boxes of DVDs. They're Blu-rays. Okay, well, it's just shit you can watch online. These Blu-rays have, like, exclusive special features, you bitch. My ex, I think he's still really hung up on me. She's a fucking whore. I told you not to call her then. Oh, shit. Uh, Thank you for defending my honor. I am the one that called you a whore. Nobody ever just pulls you aside and goes, hey, just so you know, relationships are fucking bullshit. I just think we're two nice people who gave it our best shot. Anyway, I'm into chubby guys. I just keep believing in this fucking lie that a relationship evolves and gets better. Where do these lies come from? Fucking movies. Pretty woman? Fuck you! Sweet home Alabama? Lies? With Harry Met Sally? Fucking lies? lies. Homeland season three? Very confusing. Get it out of my place! He just threw all his DVDs out of the car. Where are you from? Brookings, South Dakota. He probably take it down. always tells me I should date a Midwestern boy. Yeah, I don't know. It just... I thought it seemed like it, it could be really good. I like Judd Apatow, and the best thing about Netflix is they release all at once. Yeah, we just watch them all. Yep. Or half an hour Netflix or is perfect for binge-watching stuff. Did you watch the show by that comedian? Hmm. They've had two shows that they've released that I've liked on differing levels. Is Bill Burr as a, a cartoon... I have watched out there like an episode or two of his. Thought it was hilarious. Yeah, um, and then that Aziz oh, as a show, Masters of Reality, I think it's called. Or I did not watch something that. like that, and I watched that, and I thought it was okay. Do you ever stop watching a show? Like I have, and I still like Archer, but I still have all of last season of Archer sitting on my DVR. Have you ever just abandoned? I show stall because, out. You know, yeah. we stalled. Tammy and I stalled out on the affair. We loved the first season. The second season stunk. We got through like six of them, and now we're stalled out, and there's like seven episodes left. You almost feel like emotionally like gonna finish them? committed to it a little bit, but like we did that early on, like maybe four or five seasons into like Grey's Anatomy. I don't know. We just watched it, and then I think the DVR – I think what happened was actually like a blessing. Like our DVR box from Time Warner just broke, so we lost everything on there, and it's like – we don't have to start watching that show again. I think we. I think that was it. I think that we pulled the Band-Aid off of that show. So I don't know if I'm going to do that with Archer because I do really like Archer still. But uh, yeah, it's hard to keep up with all the shows. There's a lot of good TV. And the larger point is, yeah, there's just a lot of cool stuff going on. And I'll be enjoying the end of Alicia Florrick as well this spring as they close out the final season of The Good Wife. So a lot of great stuff to watch. Uh, and if you watch any of this shit and you want to talk to us about it, Hit us up on email or Twitter.